The Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Great job. The title of the sermon this morning is this, The Christian's Focus. The Christian's Focus. Where is your focus? Now, I know right now you're in church. Right now it's on the Lord. But how about when you get home and you're not at church and you haven't been in church for 48, 72, 96 hours? Then where is your focus? We're talking about standing with courage. The darker the night the harder it is to take a stand for what's right. Uh, the more harsh the situation, the, the more tough it is to take that stand. We need courage to take that stand. And if we're focused on the Lord, it'll be easier to do that. Let's pray this morning. Lord, help us this morning to open up the Bible. And Lord, may the Word of God make sense to each and every one here. May we leave here today, Lord, challenged to adjust one, two, three, maybe four things in our lives that will help us to be better Christians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in order for us to better understand uh, the passage here in Philippians 4, I think it would be healthy for us to do a mini-Bible study of the book of Philippians. So by way of introduction, let's do a mini-Bible study. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5. Philippians 2, 5 is the theme verse of the book of Philippians. Um, it is the uh, it is the driving idea of the book, and while you're turning to verse 5, verses 1 through 4 of Philippians 2 give us an explanation of how to have the mind of Christ, and then verses 6 down through about 12 or 13 give us uh, an example of the mind of Christ, uh, the mind of Christ in action, if you will. So uh, the application, the first part, the action, uh, the second part, verse 5 is the center of the chapter and really the center of the book. And remember the title of the sermon today is The Christian's Focus. Let's lay the groundwork here. Look at verse 5. Let's read it together. Ready? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The mind of of Christ, the mind of Christ. Um, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you have the mind of Christ? Another way to ask that question is this. Do you think like Christ thinks? Do you think like Christ thinks? Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Many people think in secular terms. Many people define success in a way that is secular. Many Christians define success in a way that is secular. In fact, one of the things I've done throughout my Christian years, both as a pastor and as an assistant pastor, is I'll get alone with someone in the car and I'll ask them this question. Now, I'm, I'm warning you, I may ask you this question in the future if we're alone, okay? Here's the question. How do you define success? I love to ask people that question. How do you define success? 
And based on the answer to that question, I know a lot about the person. Now, a lot of people define success based on secular terms. Money in the bank or, um, or uh, just the American dream, right? Financial stability, a retirement plan. Maybe it's a happy marriage or happy home. Maybe it's obedient children. Uh, maybe it's being a grandparent and enjoying your grandchildren. Maybe it's climbing the corporate ladder and getting that pension after many years of working a good job. Paul was a, prior to being saved, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, meaning he had, he had climbed to the top of the ladder when it came to his career, and he said, I don't mark my success based on my career or based on some sort of earthly, fleshly achievement. Some focus on earthly markers of success. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. In verse 5, Paul is going to give us his pedigree. Circumcised the eighth day, eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, in Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He said, my pedigree is the top of the top. He said, but not only my pedigree, but my accomplishments. Look at verse 6. Concerning zeal. All right, here's my effort. Persecuting the church. Uh, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He said, I knew the Bible inside and out, and I persecuted the church because I felt like they were in the wrong at that time. Verse 7. But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's pretty strong language. Paul said, you know where they, uh, the sewage system in town, how they haul all that on the outside of town, and the sewage is stored in the outside of, outside of town? He said, you can take all of my earthly success, and you can go put it on the dung heap. He said, I don't mark success based on what I've done on earth. He said, my success is found in Christ. Now, uh, many people uh, mark their success, or, or rather define their life by earthly success. Many people have a very secular definition of success. Um, how about you? Now, Christians should focus on eternal satisfaction of the Savior. Eternal satisfaction of the Savior. Look down at verse number 9. All this is meant to lay the groundwork for Philippians 4. Look at verse 9. Paul says, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Let me pause right there. And let me just say that many, many churches, many, many religions, I'll even include many, many Baptist churches that I've been a part of, they define success based on how many laws and rules and regulations you can keep. That's not what the Bible says. Hey, watch this now. If I'm going to try to earn God's favor by being a good person, I'm not going to have God's favor very often. You all with me? I don't earn God's favor by my actions. I earn God's favor by my faith in God. Because when my faith is in God, the Bible says that God is pleased. God is pleased. 
without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, should we try to keep the rules of the Bible? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a marker of a Christian who walks by faith. But I'm not doing that to earn God's favor. Paul says here that I'm to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, not my own effort to be a good person. He said, no, I'm, I'm earning God's favor by the righteousness of Christ in my faith in that. Look at verse 10. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, you're going to see the word apprehend a couple of times. Attain, apprehend. And both of those words mean I have arrived, okay? Or the idea of having arrived. Look here, verse 12. Not as though I have already attained or arrived. Um, either we're all already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have arrived or have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now, we looked at the mind of Christ. We've looked at markers of earthly success. Now we're talking about the satisfaction of the Savior. Paul says this. He says, you want to be successful in the Christian life? He said, this one thing I do. Look here. Uh, forgetting those things that are behind and, uh, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Look at the Christian's focus. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I am laser focused on the prize of, 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 in heaven, the prize that's presented to me by Jesus Christ. He said, I have forgotten my past failures. I have forgotten my past successes. My eyes are locked on Jesus and I'm marching forward for Jesus. My eyes are locked on the Savior. I'm focused on Jesus. Christian, if you want to be a success in the Christian life, then you must focus on the Lord. If you want to have courage to take a stand in the face of adversity, you must focus on the Lord. Now, I want to give you by way of introduction here uh, some a way for you to know whether or not you're focused on Christ. Okay, So a Christian who is focused on Christ is a Christian of great faith. A Christian of great faith. This is a Christian who's focused on Christ. Their faith is strong, all right? Uh, they're also a person who lacks fear. They're not easily afraid. They don't walk around shivering. They don't walk around fearful that they're going to die at the next thing that comes along. Listen, life is fragile. I understand that. Listen, I really understand it right now. I'm dealing with a grieving wife who's lost three family members in the last month. I get that life is fragile, and I get that there's a reason for people to be afraid. But if my eyes are on Jesus and my faith is strong, then I'm not going to be afraid. What's man going to do unto me? I'm not going to go back and preach last week's sermon. We talked about fear. A Christian who is focused on Christ is a Christian of forbearance. We'll talk more about that word forbearance in just a few moments. A Christian who is focused on Christ is a Christian of faithfulness. What's the difference between faith and faithfulness? Listen, faith can be had in short spurts, like a sprinter. Faithfulness is more of a marathon runner. I know a lot of people, man, they have strong faith for a short time, and then they fall off the wagon. And then they get back on, and they have strong faith, and then they quit. And they get back up, and they go for a while, and they lack that consistency. Um, you've heard me say this many times before. Boy, it bears repeating here again. Christianity is not measured in years. It's measured in decades. It's measured in decades. A Christian who is faithful, day in and day out, 
week in and week out. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes along the way. But all in all, our eyes are locked on Jesus, and we're in this for the long haul. Let me just add uh, here, to circle back to something I said a moment ago and tie it to this here. If I'm working to, to, to do the works of the kingdom of heaven so that I can earn God's favor or I can earn man's praise, you know what's going to happen is I'm going to burn out and quit. But if I'm serving God because He loves me and His love is driving me, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, I'm still going strong. I'm still going strong. Because the driving force is not to earn God's favor. The driving force is God's favor. You see the difference there? It is God's favor. He loves me. In spite of me, I'm going to serve Him. Now, if you're focused on Jesus, these will be attributes that describe you. How about someone who is not focused on Christ? unfocused on Christ, is a person of doubt. A person of doubt. It's a person of despair. It's a person of discourtesy. What, are they, what does that mean? That means they're, they struggle with their manners. They're rude. You ever met someone? We're all familiar with the term vibe, right? That's kind of been popular lately. My daughter got a shirt sometime back that says, Good Vibes. Good vibes. And I like my daughter to have good vibes. You know what that means? It's body language. Vibes are body language. You can tell how happy someone is just by being around them. Have you ever been around someone and you think, they don't want me here? They don't have to say a word, right? They kind of clam up and they stoop their shoulders and kind of, you know, come in on their chest and they look down. and Or maybe they're just stone cold faced and you try to talk to them. I like to look for these type of people when I'm out in public because I, I, I take it as a challenge. I meet someone who's kind of, you know, cold and hardened, and I, uh, I try to get them to talk. There's a lady that works at the post office in Seymour, Connecticut. Um, I won't use her name because someone here may know her, but um, there's several ladies that work there, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. But this lady, every time I take you know, mail there and I need to mail it, um, she does not want to talk. She just kind of stares at her screen. And, and so every single time I'm there, I make it my goal to get her to open up and talk. Just open up and be friendly. And I'm successful about 50% of the time. And I think she sees me coming and she probably rolls her eyes and goes, here we go again, right? He's going to try to get me to open up and talk to him. But I've even got her to smile a couple of times. And I walk out the door and I'm like, yeah, all right, I did it, right? But discourtesy, discourtesy. People who just, boy, they're, they're not focused on Christ. You know, attributes of a Christian, one of the attributes of a Christian is that you're kind and you're gentle. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be an extrovert, but it does mean you should be friendly, all right? Someone who's not focused on Christ, they're filled with doubt. Uh, you know, they, they're not sure about their relationships. They're not sure of themselves. They're not sure if they're saved. They're not sure of this or that or the other. L listen, this is a problem where we're not properly focused on Christ. Despair, they're wringing their hands at everything. Not only are they wringing their hands at their problems, they're wringing their hands at their future problems or their potential problems. Uh, how about this one? Last one here. A unfocused person, uh, un unfocused on Christ, is a person of deviation. There's not that faithfulness. Boy, they're faithful to church for a little while, and then they're out, and then they're in, and then they're out. They're 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 red hot in marriage, and then they're cold toward their spouse. They're a great parent for a little while, and then they sort of kind of go in a shell, and they're not doing their duty as a parent. They're a hard worker at work, and then maybe they're not there all the way. Deviation. Uh, let me ask you a question. Go back, brother Joe, to that first screen there. Does that list describe you generally? Faith, lack, fear, forbearance, faithfulness, or does 
this one describe you? Doubt, despair, discourtesy, deviation. Now, no one is all of all, no no one is all four on either list, but which one better describes you? You see, if you're focused on Christ, you're faithful, you're consistent, people can count on you, you're filled with faith. If you're not focused on Christ, boy, that's a struggle. There's doubt, despair, deviation, discourtesy. Take your Bibles over to Philippians chapter four. Let's go back there. When it comes Time to take a stand for Christ. Which one of these will have the courage to stand? Someone that's focused on Christ or not focused on Christ. When we focus on self and self is not enough, then we are filled with fear. When we focus on others and they cannot come through, then again we are filled with fear. When we focus on man-made processes such as government and they are not able to come through, they're not enough. Again, we are filled with fear. But watch this. When we focus on the Lord and find that he is always enough, then we are filled with faith and faithfulness. From this position and only this position, we will find the courage to stand. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Notice the focus is on the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Look down at verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord, the Lord is at hand. The focus is on the Lord, the Lord. Look at verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The Lord, the Lord, unto God. Look at verse number 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. Look down at uh, verse number 10. But I receive... In the Lord, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at uh, the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye also were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So we see verse 4, the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord. Verse 6, God. Verse 7, Christ Jesus. Verse 9, the God of peace. Verse 10, uh, the Lord. Uh, Where is the focus here? The focus is on the Lord. And we're going to see in just a minute here what happens when we focus on. On the Lord. I propose that if you will focus on the Lord, then many of the struggles that you have in your life will be put into proper perspective. You will view God as big enough and strong enough. You will rest and you will rejoice in who He is, and you will learn to shrug your shoulders at the problems that are in your path. Furthermore, I propose that if you are not focused on the Lord, your heart will be filled with fear and anxiety. You will view your problems as insurmountable. Rest and rejoicing will escape your heart, and you will wring your hands at the problems that lie in your path. Let's look at five thoughts this morning out of Philippians chapter 4 as we consider our series, Stand with Courage, in this topic, The Christian's Focus. Let me encourage you to take notes this morning on the back of your bulletin there. Point number one, our celebration. Our celebration. Look down to verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 4. It says there, Rejoice in the Lord sometimes, and again I say rejoice. Is that what it says? Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Now listen, everyone would rather go to a party than to a funeral. Amen? Everyone would rather go to a party than a funeral. I enjoy birthday parties. 
Fourth of July get-togethers, Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas around the Christmas tree opening presents. Not me, but the kids opening presents, my wife opening presents. I enjoy that the most. Maybe ham and mashed potatoes, lunchtime on Christmas Day with the family. Get-togethers, parties, fun, right? Moments of celebration. I don't necessarily enjoy visiting hospitals. I don't necessarily enjoy uh, being around people who are going through hardships. You know, I don't enjoy getting phone calls from my brother about some kid dying under a truck or a church member about their husband having cancer. I got two or three other, uh, I had two or three other conversations yesterday that were not happy conversations. The question is, can you rejoice even in the hard times? Can you celebrate even when times are tough? How do we do this? It is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man, and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October of 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur, who was located in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life, Somewhere over the South Pacific of the uh, flying fortress, uh, somewhere over the uh, so- Southern Pacific, the flying fortress became lost beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched the plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water, the weather, and the scorching sun. They spent many uh, uh, sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks would ram their raft. The largest raft was 9 feet by 5 feet, the biggest shark 10 feet long. But of all the enemies at sea, one proved most formidable, and that was starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by the salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. Now listen to this. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, Cherry read the service that afternoon. Now, what are they doing? They're starving. They're alone. Uh, they, they are uh, uh, whittling down on hope, and they have church in that raft. They have a service. They read the Bible that afternoon. They finished with prayer for deliverance in a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tampered off in the oppressive heat. He says, with my hat pulled down, Over my eyes, to keep some of the glare away, I dozed off. Now, this is still Captain Rickenbacker speaking. Something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everyone else knew too. No one said a word, but peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were all staring at the seagull, the gullment food. If I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie reached up and caught the goal. Um, They ate uh, the meat 
of the goal, and they used the guts of the goal to catch fish. And uh, they were uh, they were they ended up being saved uh, sometime after that. Um, now the survivors were sustained in hopes renewed because a lone seagull, uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land, offered itself as a sacrifice. You know that Captain Eddie made it, and now you also know that he never forgot, because every Friday evening about sunset on a lowly stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast. You, can, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy eyebrows, slightly bent, walking with a limp. His bucket filled with shrimp uh, uh, was for the seagulls. And uh, to remember that one which on a day long past gave itself without a struggle like manna in the wilderness. Boy, there they are in the middle of the ocean. Sharks ramming into their raft, starving to death alone, afraid. And what do they do? They read the Bible, or they quote the Bible. They pray. They sing a hymn of of, of praise. They rejoiced, even when it wasn't easy. And God delivered them. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you going through a hard time in your life? I know the answer for many of you is yes. When was the last time you got down on your knees and you rejoiced anyway? When was the last time you praised God for giving you the hardship? It's easy to thank God when we get a pay raise. But how about when you lose your job? It's easy to celebrate uh, when new life is brought into the world. But how about at the loss of a loved one to death? Anyone can rejoice when they sign for the purchase of a new home. But how about when they are evicted? Or how about when the house burns down? Anyone can rejoice when taking a stand for Jesus leads to adulation and promotion. But how about when standing for Jesus means jail time and government fines? Anyone can rejoice when life goes their way. But how about when life has just kicked you in the mouth? Can you rejoice in those times? Paul says here that when we focus on the Lord, we can and should Rejoice always. Number one, our celebration. Number two, our care. Our care. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse number 5. Let your moderation, notice that word moderation. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That word moderation there means gentle, gracious, forbearing. Gentle, gracious, forbearing. Someone who lives with moderation is someone who is more concerned about the needs of others than their own need. Now, we see several of these ideas coming together in verse number 10. Look down at verse 10. Paul commends the church of Philippi for their moderation on his behalf. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Notice their moderation toward Paul. They care more about Paul and his needs than their own needs. Wherein ye also were careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So the idea of being moderate or moderation is that idea of being uh, caring and being careful. Sort of mixed together. And they come from the same idea. The Bible tells us, um, no, hold on. When our focus is on the Lord, the needs, the needs of others mean more to us than our own needs. In our culture today, there's a lot of talk about self-esteem. Self-esteem. That's a trap, Christian. Don't you fall into it. Um, There are people in the Bible that we are to esteem. 
Philippians chapter 2. If you turn back and look at Philippians chapter 2 and look at verse number 3, look at it real quick. You tell me who we are to esteem. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Look at it. Read the verse. Who are we to esteem? Others. And then look down at um, verse number 9. Who are we to exalt? Who did God exalt? Jesus. Boy, we're to esteem others. We're to esteem the Lord. But we're not to worry about our own self-esteem. You know what happens when we lean on our uh, self-esteem? Oh, I'm not. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. Let me just say this. Okay, there's five areas here. Watch this. Physical, emotional, mental, social, and spiritual. Physical, emotional, mental, social, spiritual. Can I just say this right now? Every single person in the room feels as though they fall short in at least one of those five areas. Every single person. Physical, emotional, mental, social, spiritual. No one here feels like they measure up to the average person in at least one of those areas. Watch this. When I'm focusing on me and where I come up short, oh, I'm not here. I'm not where I ought to be there. Uh, My focus is on myself, and that is dangerous. That is dangerous, and that leads to a, woe is me, I'm not good enough. But watch this now, if I put my eyes on Jesus, and I realize that my acceptance, and my security, and my confidence, and my worth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care where I fall short, because my eyes are on the Lord, and He is all I need. Instead of being filled with self-esteem, we ought to find our worth in Christ. Let's substitute self-esteem for self-worth and say, my worth is found not in who I am and where I fall short. My faith and my worth is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is all I need. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Not I can do all things through me, which strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. The Bible tells us, or rather, when we, are, uh, when we make of much of Christ in others, God will take care of our own self-worth. Here's what I found. I have found that when I have a heavy burden, and boy, I'm really low and down, and I'm just discouraged, that if I will set those burdens down right here, and I will walk over here, and I will help other people uh, 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 carry their burdens, I'll shoulder their burdens, I get through that, I come back over to my burdens, and you know what? They're either gone or greatly minimalized. Because I've focused on others, and you know what? I see them get help, and there's great joy that comes into my life. And then when it still doesn't work, and that's not enough, I get down on my knees in prayer, and I pray to God, and I make much of God. And you know what? My problems shrink down even more. When we take care of others, and our moderation is known unto all men, we get proper perspective. Why? Because we're focused on the Lord, and we're not focused on ourselves. Many of you here today, you walk around, and you wring your hands, and you're worried, and you're afraid, and you're concerned, and you doubt, and you're filled with despair, and you're filled with uh, uh, unkindness, and uh, you're filled with um, uh, deviation, and I would just say discourtesy and deviation, and I would just say, take your eyes off yourself, take your eyes off your own shortcomings, and focus on... On the Lord, because He's all you need. He's all you need. Number one, our celebration. Number two, our care. Notice number three, our coping. Our coping. Now, this will be the most controversial part of the sermon, but the good news for me is that I've got a lot of Bible to back up what I'm about to say. Um, I'll just say this before we get into the point. Sigmund Freud would greatly disagree with what I'm about to say, 
Um, but Sigmund Freud is not God. Many people here lean heavy on the medical system, and I'm all for medicine where it can help, but we have a great physician in heaven, and our faith should be in him first. All right? Our coping. Look with me at verse number 6, Philippians 4, verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now the word careful, careful, is the Greek word merimnate, which means to be anxious. Look back at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Anxiety, anxiety. Do you know that there is a command in the Bible not to be anxious? You know what that means? That means to be filled with anxiety is a sin. Now, I'm not here to make anyone feel guilty. I'm just here to tell you what God's Word says. Drug and alcohol addicts get a bad rap and are oftentimes looked down upon by other Christians. The truth is, you all listening this morning, the truth is every single person in this room is an addict in some way or another. Every last one of us. Now, the word addict is uh, only found one time in the Bible. It talks about being addicted to the ministry. Okay, I incorrectly said in the 830 service that uh, it's not a biblical word. It is a biblical word. It's only found one time in the Bible, and it's a reference to some people being addicted to the ministry. But can I just tell you right now that a lot of people are addicted to other substances, and we look down our pharisaical nose and people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol and those types of things, and look, I just tell you that probably you are an addict as well. Let me give you some things that you very well may be addicted to. And I may not name yours, but if you think long and hard enough, you can come up with something you're addicted to, okay? Some people are addicted to food. They'll be the first ones in the line upstairs in a few minutes, amen? I'm just teasing. If you end up first in line, I didn't mean that, okay? <laughs> no one's going to want to go first now. Um, some are addicted to food. Can I share one with you that I'm addicted to? Some are addicted to sugar. How many really like sugar? Get my hands up. Um, some are addicted to the television. Some are addicted to video games. Here's one that's going to sting most of us. Many of us in here are addicted to our cell phones. Brother Tim, I expect to see you at the altar in a few minutes. Oh, that was Brother Scott. Okay. Right on cue. But we're addicted. We're addicted. Do you know what these addictions really are? They're coping mechanisms. To help us handle life when life gets difficult. When things don't go your way, what do you do? Many feel anxious and they can't cope with their anxiety, their anxious feelings by, uh, uh, by running to their addiction or coping mechanism. So this is how we handle things. We, we run to these, these addictions, these coping mechanisms when life gets tough. And the truth is... These coping mechanisms generally aren't enough, and so the leftover is anxiety. 
This is proof that we really don't focus on the Lord when life gets tough. Look back at verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. How are we supposed to handle uh, life's hardships then? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. How is a Christian supposed to cope with hardships? Our coping mechanism is supposed to be prayer and supplication and a spirit of gratitude. Prayer, supplication, and spirit of gratitude. Here's a question for you. When life gets tough, is the very first thing you do to bow your head and get on your knees and pray? Or is the first thing you do to find a coping mechanism? Because I'm telling you this, for most people, it's not prayer. Which channels on you, Brother Joe? Just put me on the... Um, okay. What if every time things got tough, you defaulted, you defaulted to prayer instead of pizza? What if every time you felt anxious, you supplicated in prayer instead of scrolling through Facebook? Am I where you live? When life gets tough, we are supposed to run to God and not shallow things that will only make our problems worse. Now... Your flesh wants to run to those things that are shallow and vain. Your body gets a chemical dopamine hit when you run to many of these things. And when you start running to God in prayer, the dopamine hit won't be there. And you're going to go through something called withdrawal symptoms and evidence that you're an addict. And yes, if you're heavy on Facebook or social media and you get off for 30 days, you're going to go through withdrawals. You're going to go through withdrawals. I promise you, you'll go through withdrawals. I've, I've seen people do it. You know why? Because you're addicted. And you're filled with anxiety because you're not turning to the right place when life gets tough. Stay the course when you go through those withdrawals. Learn to cope through prayer. Learn to make the default of hardship prayer. And watch God deliver you from anxiety and fear. Brother Joe, if you could give me a little more volume on the speakers up here. Number one, our celebration. Number two, our care. Number three, our coping. Number four, our calmness. Our calmness. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7. The Bible says, and the peace of God. Look at this next phrase. Which passeth all understanding shall keep. Mark your, in your Bible if you do that. Mark those two words, shall keep. Shall keep. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, this is not going to be popular with some people, but I have a whole lot of Bible I'm going to share with you. In fact, if you could, turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 8. We're going to get there in a moment. I'm going to read some other verses for you while you're finding your way there. I have a belief that much, if not all, of the emotional and social anxiety that Christians experience uh, come as a result of not resting in the Lord. Verse 7 of Philippians 4 is locked tight. God's word says that this peace shall, it doesn't say might, it says shall keep. That word keep means to guard or protect. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
Many Christians trust the medical system to solve their problems more than they trust the Bible and what God says on this issue. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Listen to the finality of this verse. Thou wilt keep. This is locked tight. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusted in thee. Well, now, again, the sermon this morning is about focusing on the Lord. If I am focused on the Lord the way I'm supposed to, my mind is stayed on the Lord, I have a promise from God that he will keep me in perfect peace. Peace. It doesn't say unless you have a medical problem and you need to go see a doctor. It says thou wilt keep him. Listen to what Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He doesn't say I might. He says I promise I promise with all of my strength, I will give you rest. Take my look upon you and learn of me. And there's part of the problem. We're not focused on Christ. For I am meek and lowly um, in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and look at verse number 8. And by the way, um, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, if you want a passage to study on the top of anxiety and depression and fear, and you want to know what the Bible really says about that, dive really, really deep in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And I guarantee you, you'll walk away with a very strong conclusion that those conditions come from a lack of faith in God. In fact, the Bible says he turns people over to unrest and anxiety because of their unbelief. Whereas if people have faith and they have belief, God gives them that rest. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 8. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. By the way, how do we labor to enter into rest? We labor by focusing on God and walking with God. When we do that properly, we find that rest. Look at the rest of the verse. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. When we don't have rest, when we have unrest, it's because of unbelief. When we have rest, it's because of unbelief. Now, unbelief in God's goodness and sufficiency to heal our hearts and hurts is what drives a believer to a place of anxiety and fear. The Word of God could not be more uh, cut and dry or crystal clear on this topic. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Isaiah says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Paul says, Christ uh, Jesus shall keep your heart and mind in the peace of God. Now, before we move on to the last point, I just want to make this really clear. I am not angry or upset at anyone uh, who struggles with anxiety or fear or depression, my, my, um, uh, I'm not trying to throw shade or be unkind or insensitive. I've gone through bouts in my life where I struggle with some of these things. I've had people I love very much who've struggled with these things in my life. I don't pretend that all of the answers are really, really easy, but I do promise you that all the answers are in God's word. And I encourage you this morning to focus on God, because if you're focused on anything other than God and your faith is in anything other than God or more on other things than God, then you're going to just run into anxiety and fear and problems. Put your eyes on God and at least be open to seeing what God is going to do in your life. Find that faith and find that rest. 
uh, focus on the Lord, our celebration. In fact, let's go over the outline together. Those of you that filled out the notes, would you help me out? I'll pause when we get to the alliterator word and say it enthusiastically with me. Ready? Number one, our celebration. Number two, our care. Number three, our Number four, our calmness. Number five, notice our contentment. Look at verse number 11. we'll, We'll be done in just a moment. Our contentment. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, uh, Paul here speaks of contentment. This is emotional contentment. This is social contentment. This is physical contentment. This is material contentment. Paul said, I have learned to be content. Do you all know where Paul was when he wrote this book of the Bible? He was in jail. He was being persecuted because he had taken a stand with courage and he got locked up for it. He's, and I'm not talking about cable TV and an air-conditioned jail cell. I'm talking about a hole in the ground where bread and water is thrown down to him once a day. And Paul said, I've learned to be content. When we focus on God and His goodness, we learn to be content with who we are in Christ and what we have on earth. We become content with such things that we have. Some time ago, there appeared in a newspaper a cartoon showing two fields divided by a fence. Both fields were green, about the same size, and each had plenty of the same kind of green, luscious grass. In each field there was a mule, and each mule had his head through the fence eating grass from the other mule's pasture. All around uh, each mule in his own field was plenty of grass, yet the grass in the other field seemed greener or fresher, although it was harder to get. And in the process, the mules were caught in the wires and were unable to extricate themselves. The cartoonist put just one word at the bottom of the picture, discontent discontent are you discontent this morning or are you content with what god's given you there's a story told of a king who was suffering from a painful ailment he had astrologers that told him the only cure for him was to put on the shirt of a contented man and he needed to wear it night and day so messengers were sent throughout the king's realm in in search for a man uh, of such whose whose shirt could be brought back Months passed, and after a thorough search of the country, the messengers returned, but without the shirt. Did you find a contented man in in, in my realm? The king asked. They replied, yes, O king, we found one, just one man who is content in your entire kingdom. Then why did you not bring back his shirt, came the the king's question. The men answered, master, the man has no shirt. The man has no shirt. You know, you can be poor and be content. You don't have to have a lot to be content. In fact, contentment is a decision of the mind. And contentment comes when we're focused on Christ. How do we stand with courage? How do we stand up to sin? How do we stand with the cons- when the consequences for doing so may seem severe. Remember, a Christian who is focused on Christ is a person of great faith, a person who lacks fear, a person of forbearance, a Christian of faithfulness. 
that man, that woman is going to stand in the evil day because he's focused on Christ. However, someone who's not focused on Christ is filled with doubt, despair, discourtesy, deviation. Are you focused on Christ this morning? When we're focused on Christ, we get the courage to stand. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's get honest with ourselves. Let's be honest before God. Are we focused on Christ like we should? Are we walking with God? Are we spending time in the Word? Are we praying? Are we meditating on the Bible? Do we wake up thinking about God? Do we go to bed thinking about God? Do we think about Him throughout the day? Do we, do, do we focus on Him like we should? Or are we just focused on ourselves? Are we focused on a secular, humanistic, materialistic world that is burning down around us? Where's your focus this morning, Christian? How many of you would say, Pastor Lejeune, uh, the Lord spoke to me through the sermon this morning, and my focus really hasn't been where it should be. Pastor, pray for me that I'll get my focus back on Christ. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? My focus hasn't really been where it ought to be. I need to focus on the Lord. Many, many hands, many hands. Anyone else this morning? Pastor, I should have raised my hand and I didn't. Pray for me. Pray for me. My focus isn't where it ought to be. Listen, the world is clamoring for your focus. Don't give it to them. They're not worthy. Jesus died on the cross. He's worthy. Let's focus on Christ. How many here this morning would say, Pastor, I'm going through a really difficult time in my life right now. And I just need to know that my pastor is praying for me. And I need to know that God's near and dear my side during this hardship. Here's my hand, Pastor. Would you pray for me while I go through these struggles and these difficulties and these challenges? I see, I see many hands. Some of you know, others I don't. Some of you I don't know the full extent, but I promise to pray for you. Lord, be with those who raise their hand to that last question. You know the need. You know the struggle. Be with us today, Lord. Help us to focus on you in Jesus' name.